this is LB, and you're listening to The Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software and service industry. We are Revenue Ops with a... Edge! Edge! Getting better. That was better. Not, not good, but not bad. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and take a look at our Patreon page. We love our Patreon peeps. Today, our guest is Lauren Bailey. Most people just call her LB. LB is an inside sales expert who has been voted the top 25 most influential leaders in inside sales. Top 25 sales coaches, top 35 most influential women in sales, and top 50 keynote presenters this year alone. Wow. She's the founder of Factor 8, the sales bar, and hashtag girls club. And she's on a mission to help more people feel confident and successful at work. But before we get to Lauren, we got a sponsor for the show. This episode's brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents and athletes, get a doodle of their noodle, which is a brain map. Hey, it's basketball season. You get a hard check on the sidelines. Better get a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? We'll get a brain checkup before the season's over. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. KG, we got any shout-outs? Of course I've got some shout-outs here. Let's see here. Uh, Congratulations to my favorite, Lauren Weiner, for landing the head of investor relations role at Outlander Labs. That's a VC in Atlanta working with my buddy Paige Craig, who's a legendary angel investor uh, turned VC. And happy birthday to Chris Innes, CEO of Mountain, MNTN, formerly Steelhouse. And uh, congratulations to Norma, Norma Fernandez, formerly of uh, business.com, way back in the day for starting a new position as media sales director at Funware. And that's all she wrote. Carney, you got anything? I got one shout out to my Hit buddy, me. Chris Mars. Um, his show was just, he just sent me right before the show. His TV show, Big Shot on Disney, is ranked as one of the top 13 shows in. Um, uh, of all of 2021 by the LA Times. So give him a shout out. Uh, good job. Keep writing. And check this shout out. Chris Cordry at Phenom People says he's looking for some majors. I guess we're okay with them now, huh? Interesting. Yeah, Phenom. Yeah, hint, hint, Patreon, you cheapskates. Hey, congratulate. Let's congratulate Rick Borge for one year at Campus ESP. Carney. Yeah. Why'd the Scarecrow win an award? Why? He was out, he was outstanding in his field. Okay. Boom boom. Well done. You like that? Yeah. Yeah, yes. Hey. JC. The guy just threw milk at me. How dare he? That's not bad. That's not bad. When is butter contagious? When it's what? spreading. Hey. Okay. Well done. You like that? Yeah. Uh, K- KG, how you know Lauren? Well, Lauren LB. and uh, LB. 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 Yes. Well, <clears throat> it's a super I, unique nickname. Don't don't mess it up. Yeah. Yes. Totally. <laughs> yeah. 
I met Lauren over 10 years ago at an AAISP Leadership Summit in Chicago, Illinois, which if any of our listeners have never been, you have to go. It is it is like the premier event. I budget money every year to go. Anyway, there was this amazing high energy woman standing up on stage talking about inside sales. And I was just immediately like drawn to LB to, uh, and I think I may have walked up. And of course I, well, you were the one that was presenting. So I walked up to you afterwards and we just started talking and, and uh, you know, birds of a feather, we were just uh, fast, fast friends, you know, thereafter. And um we actually even hired LB and Factor 8 to come in to do some training for our sales team uh, at ZipRecruiter several years ago with great success. Lots of uh, amazing coaching. The way she talks about coaching, which we'll talk about later on in the show, is, is uh, most people don't really do coaching. And that's that's we'll explore that a little bit further. And LB is an absolute, uh, absolute expert. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show, LB. You're you're, uh, you're, you're, you're one of a kind, you're something special. You're, you're non-fungible, you know, NFTs are, you know, NFTs are huge these days. You're, you're one of, one of a kind LB. Thanks for coming on the show. That feels amazing. Thank you for that. That's all warm and fuzzy. I thought it was really cool that you came up and talked to me, by the way, at that, right? Cause I knew who you were. Everybody knew who KG was. Oh, right? shucks. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> he comes up and talks to me and I felt like, I felt like hot shit. Uh, stop already. Oh, stop. So, 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 Lauren, give us a, just a quick uh, summary of your background and uh, yeah. Yeah. while you got cooking. There. Yeah, I grew up as uh, in sales, right? Sales management, sales leadership. Um, took a couple tours through training leadership as well. Like I would, you know, I was disappointed with how my reps had come onto my team. So I would go start training departments. And then I'd be lured by the cash back over into sales leadership. And then my last corporate gig, I was in charge of the training strategy for SAP's global expansion into inside sales. Hell, back then we called it telemarketing. That's how old I am. Now it's virtual selling or digital selling. And so that's kind of been my industry this whole time, back and forth between sales and training leadership. And um, really did not like my boss at SAP and thought, you know, I'm going to see, I'm going to see if I can do this on my own. I found out my secret sauce was translating between the two worlds, right? There's not many sales leaders who can look at the numbers they're missing and translate that into a behavior change and then make that behavior change happen. And there's not many training professionals who can provide the training, who can look at the sales numbers and say, here's what needs to change. And so I started to partner with old friends who would hire me to come in and say, help, I, you know, I hired Miller Hyman or some other really big expensive training company and nothing's changed, right? I've, I've launched this outbound team and we suck, come and fix it. And uh, that was, I, you know, I had that on my first card. If you've launched an outbound team that sucks, call LB. And it's grown from there. Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand. We've all done it. We've all done it. It's like we've all promoted our top rep to manager and totally screwed that up too. <laughs> and so that was 13 years ago. And uh, since then, we've taken it online with the sales bar. And I started my other passion project three years ago called Girls Club. You don't have to say the hashtag, but I, I, I just added it so I feel younger. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what a hashtag is, but it's, you know, it's a brand name now. Exactly. Well, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get into it. Well, first of all, Pete, you know, Pete's old. He says hashtag, you know, so he doesn't know not to say hashtag. I see, so, I see it. Like Whatever. <laughs> so, so uh, let's go in girls club. I love it. And I would love for you to expand on that further. Yeah. Why are you so, why are you, what is it? And why are you so passionate about it? Yeah. It's really kind of 
I'm, I'm going to get sappy for a second. I think it's what I was sent here to do that. And it just sort of came to me. And so it's been this effortless, right? Whereas factory, right, I ground all the time and I've built and I've swam upstream and I made it happen. And girls club, I sort of launched the idea and I'm trying to hold on to it for, with dear life because it's just moving so fast. So right thing, right time. The mission is to help change the face of sales leadership uh, by helping more women earn promotions in the sales leadership. I grew up the only chick in the room, which is probably why I talk like a trucker. Um, and, and that is like being raised by a pack of wolves, guys in call centers, right? And I was really comfortable in it. I didn't have some, you know, tragedy story, but I also didn't realize I was the only skirt in the room until I got older and I've been asked to sit on panel after panel at often those conferences, like we go to KG, it was like, let's have the breakfast panel discussion about why there aren't more women in sales leadership. And like freaking five years in a row, we have the same conversation and nothing happens. And I can't, that's just not who I am. I'm not the girlfriend you come to to complain. I'm the one who fixes it. So I, I thought, I think I can fix this. I, I think I get why it's happening. And I think, I think I guessed right. We are fixing it. We've been part of over 200 promotions so far. Why is it happening? Yeah, it is a combination of factors, but here it is. Number one reason on the board is that women are uncomfortable. I'm like blatant stereotypes here, folks, but I'm going to own it. Okay. As a gender, we are less comfortable than our male counterparts going for the job and raising our hand until we feel 100% confident we can do it. And if you think about it, it's fucking hilarious because I've never had that job, but I'm not going to apply for that job until I'm sure I can do the job 100%. So there's even a study out there, right? HP put it out, Forbes published it, that says a man will apply for a job if he has six out of 10 of the criteria. You want to guess what a woman's number is? 10 out of 10. It's 10. It is. It's 10 out of 10. So we sit on our hands and what girls club does besides teaching and working with self-confidence and role models and right, we try to quash perfectionism and amp up risk-taking. But the other thing we do is let them train for the job ahead of time. So they come to us, that was the goal, right? When they're reps and they want to be managers. And we put them through a six month certification. The very same management training, Kevin hired us to do a zip recruiter, but we layer it with mentors and cohorts and community and confidence building and all kinds of cool stuff, right? And 70% of those reps get promoted before the cohort's even over in six months. Like they fly to the top and that's the why, right? We are sitting on our hands. So I'm on a mission to get more women to take risks. And part of that is educating great guys like you, like, hey, guess what? You might have to go ask the women on your team to apply. You literally have to say, I think you'd be a really fantastic leader. Have you ever thought about it? Watch her take off like a freaking rocket, but she won't come to you. Trying to change it, but meet me halfway. You, great. you and your husband and I pounded a couple of bottle of, bottles of wine at your house talking about this very topic. And my grumpy lasagna. I which was, lasagna hey, I, I was so shithoused. I wasn't complaining. And, uh, and, and, but you, one of the things that impressed me the most about what you were saying to me was that you can't just say, just apply, why, why, just, just jump, just do it because women aren't designed to jump. And I love what you're saying is that you're trying to, if I hear you correctly, the mission of the girls club is to do two things. One, help them jump Two, give them those skills in advance. So they get closer to that 10 and out of 10, you're doing both, not yeah. one. And it's you're a magic combination that way. Exactly. 
We're also role modeling it because I didn't come up with any female role models. Zip, right? And so when they get to meet all these other women sales leaders and hear their stories, they learn they're normal and it's okay, right? And right, but you have to go outside your organization a lot of times to find that. And I'll tell you what, I didn't get that. I didn't understand how important role models were because I kind of grew up without them. And then as I started my own business and met people like Trish Bertuzzi and Joe Conrath and some of the great women in sales, like they, they carved that for me. And I, I took leaps and bounds higher as a business owner because of them. So we brought that back down into sales. You know, one thing I'm noticing is there's a big push at most companies to hire a more diverse candidate base. The biggest problem I think is that when you're hiring somebody, you've got 50 guys applying and you've got to weed through them to get to the five stellar women. You're so right. There's a couple things you can do for that, by the way, I've learned. Right. And, And this has been a fascinating journey for me because I didn't come into this as, you know, a bra burning feminist. I didn't write, I didn't have the stats. I'm not the expert. I'm just somebody willing to try and to, to be really authentic about the journey. And, and, and I hate it when the women who are leading this try to make everybody else wrong. So guys and gals, here's a couple of things you can do to get more female applicants. Okay. Number one, take a look at your job description. I know I did this. We still write them like we're in charge here. It's a buyer's market, okay? Or pardon me, a seller's market. Which market is it? The employees are in charge. We're the employees there. market, yes. It's an employees market, right? So oh, knowing a woman won't apply unless she has everything checked, reduce the number of things. So it's not a wish list. It's a bare minimum requirements list. And if you can't get the people there to really narrow it down, just add a line that says, we don't, the perfect candidate may not have all of these. We strongly encourage you to apply. There's job training available. Like make it a softer landing, right? That's one of the very first things you can do. The second thing is I found, again, I was guilty of this, right? Sales is a competitive sport. It's a confidence game. And so we write our job descriptions like that. If you're ready to come in and crush it and kill it and win it, and and that freaks some women out. We're great at selling. I can cite 200 stats. Don't make me because I don't have them memorized about how women rise to the top. But very often they're doing that through relationship building and great communication skills and you know caring and organization and all those other things. And they are crushing quota, but they don't sign up to crush it. They sign up to care. They sign up to do well. They right and 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 it's just it doesn't attract them. Kevin, you got big nods. Have you noticed that in job descriptions? Have, is this new? Mm-hmm. You? This is the, we could talk about unconscious bias forever. Job descriptions are written with male-dominated words, and there's study after study after study. And even at ZipRecruiter, I think we published something several years ago about that very thing that the job descriptions are just inherent. The sale, especially in sales, are inherently filled with male dominated words and people aren't doing it on purpose. These no. people writing, they're not doing it on purpose. Yeah. They're just writing as they, as they think, but it excludes, it excludes the female applicants um, um, potentially even unconsciously as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's both of those things happening. So the other thing you can do, here's two more, two more. Like I never did this coming up, but the women and girls club tell me before they apply, they check all the websites. 
And if you don't show women in leadership, they're not going to apply. So if there's nothing but white dudes on your board, take the pictures down. That's the first <laughs> thing you do. And then go fix it. It's like, you, so get women in leadership. Do what you need to do, right? Hire in, show the diversity because people don't like to be onlys, right? And this goes beyond all of your underrepresented classes. Um, and then the other thing you can do is, is show the efforts that you make towards development. So every millennial and Gen X, Gen Y and Z and next and all of like everybody younger than us, they care about development opportunities on the job, number one, right? Then access to leadership and growth in their careers. So that's not just women, but it's especially women. So if you can show, oh, I've got training programs. If you can show, here's what we invest in our employees. If you can show we care about people, not just crushing a number, again, you're going to pull more in. And then finally, go talk to the women in your organization. They may be sitting in customer success or marketing and encourage them to apply and you'll see more. It's holiday season. Uh, any specific issues uh, to deal with with uh, sales leadership uh, and, and women? <laughs> I can't speak for all women, but I can tell you that it's a really fucking hard time of the year. And it yeah. starts on Halloween, right? Because it's always on a weeknight and you're closing the month and you know, you get it done at five o'clock and you're already late. It's like 501 and there's a goddamn trick-or-treater at your door and <laughs> your kids still aren't dressed and nobody's been fed. And it's just like you start upside down and backwards. And there's just such, there's such high pressure that women put on themselves and that I think the media put on us to do the perfect blank of whatever that is. So for me, I've just started outsourcing, right? Whole Foods cooked my Thanksgiving this year. And it was fantastic. Yes. My Christmas cards were my change of address cards. They said, PS, this is your Christmas card. <laughs> so just, I, we, we don't focus on making it easy for ourselves. We focus on making it perfect for everybody else. So yeah, perfectionism is especially hard, I think, around the holidays. And it, it, listen, we don't own that exclusively because we have breasts. Although I do think that the uterus is lined with guilt. I'm pretty sure that there's a really? <laughs> yeah. well, LB, I don't know how you do it. You know, you, you, uh, again, that one time I came over one or two times, I don't know you and me and Steve, uh, and you were like, it was like bringing home the bacon and fr literally frying it up in the pan and you made dinner. And, uh, and I, all I did was bring like a couple of bottles of wine. And then like these exactly. two little, these two little rug rats are like, you know, pulling at you and stuff. And you're like, oh, I got to make sure they put them down and everything. I'm like, and you're the CEO of a successful business. I'm like, how in the world? I got one thing. I got one thing to do. I don't know how, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Drive right now. I mean, you're literally risking your life on a daily basis and you're always on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, but I, don't think well, that, I, think, I think that we, like, I've gotten off social media. Um, and sometimes I'd like to say it was on purpose, but the truth is we had to use my Facebook account to get my Oculus to work for the kids when Santa brought it last year. And we've never figured out how to get me back on Facebook. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm kind of glad, right? And I was never cool enough to have Instagram or any of those other things. But there's a lot of pressure about being perfect. And I think, you know, women will take 300 family pictures and learn how to Photoshop so they can put out a perfect Christmas card. 
And my favorite one is the one where the, the mother, new mom sends it out and her kid's just bawling his head off, having a meltdown on Santa's lap. Like, I think we should celebrate imperfection more. And I think we should be honest with each other. I have help. I have an assistant at work. I have an assistant at home. I also have a rock star husband who, you know, helps around the house and my kids have to do chores to earn their allowance. And it, it's not fair to say, wow, you do it all. I love the imperfect. You, <clears throat> too many people on social media try to be perfect on everything. Don't you hate them? Oh, there's one. There's one couple that I'm like. I said, oh, they just went to a wedding with a photo booth, and I'm like, that's the worst because yeah. they take a photo everywhere they're at, and it's always posed and photoshopped. I'm like, now they're going to a photo booth to get that done. It's, it's to be not- be imperfect. Show your mistakes. Show your flaws. Everyone enjoys that better than. So it, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's a lesson for leaders. Mm-hmm. All right. Like, I think that that is, if you had to pick a word, so authenticity is one of our values at Girls Club for sure. But I think that's part of why we took off so fast is we made it okay to be imperfect. And, and I'm, I'm really comfortable with that being my brand. And I think people as leaders of any gender, race, religion, whatever, the more vulnerable and authentic they can be with people and the less we try to be perfect, the more people will be bonded to you when you can share authentically. I'll tell you, we do this one thing in Girls Club. It's called Rise Up on Record. We get a bunch of our thought leaders to do it. I do one every month and it's a confessional. So yes, some of them have done it like three o'clock in the morning in my bathroom, but it's the three F's, right? And we ask women to record a fear, a failure, or a fuck up. And it's so refreshing She's like, oh, fuck this up. Oh, fuck this. I save them up now. And I like celebrate them in these confessionals. And it's everybody's favorite thing. They binge them over and over and over and over and over again. Because to, to watch women that you thought were perfect, whether it was because of LinkedIn or Facebook or the fabulous suit or, I mean, how many women role models do we have? Most of them have hair and makeup budgets on TV, right? And they're a size two and they're a bitch. And, mm-hmm. and and that's, that's not real. So getting real women to come in and share the three Fs has been people's favorite thing. And what we're trying to do is quash that perfectionism. Fs. Uh, do you get any criticism? Like, do you get any like females that are trying to like, you know, break the glass ceiling and all this kind of stuff and go, no, now that takes them back. Cause now they're showing this unprofessional side, you know, three in the morning, you know, to, like, do you, anybody give any criticism about that? Know. No, but some are better at it than others, Kev, right? There's been plenty of women I've asked who are thought leaders for us, uh, who act as role models, who I say, listen, the more vulnerable, the better. Makeup is optional. Get real, blah, 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 blah. And the best they can say is like, take care of your health. It's important. And we're like, thanks so much, Delete, right? The ones where I've had people do it with their curlers in. I've had people crying. No, it's because it's real. That's why right? Because it's real. And I think we all embrace that. I think you guys get that too. I mean, you're not, none of you are wearing suits and ties right now. And I mean, seriously, Jamie, we need to have a word about your hair. It's so nice though. I'm just, I'm just so jealous for God's sake. He can get into North Korea anytime he wants. Hey, LB. I do not have the Kim Jong-un haircut. You look fabulous. I'm just giving you a hard time. LB, let's get into some blocking and tackling. What is, because we have new Salespeople that listen to the show, new new right. leaders. Yeah. What, what what is a discovery call? What does that mean to you? God, it depends on the role, doesn't it? Yeah. But 
right? In, in SAS, it's usually tip of the sword is your BDR, SDR, right? And when I talk about discovery for a BDR, SDR, very often it's synonymous with qualification because we don't want deep, deep, deep discovery on those calls. We're looking for qualified, interested, moving on. The problem is that I see in most of those reps, especially our new ones, is we're so focused on getting the appointment and we're so wrung out from dialing over and over and over without talking to people that as soon as they, as soon as they answer the phone, we're asking for the meeting. And, and so discovery at a BDR, SDR level to me means don't forget it, guys. You're leaving out this entire section of the sales cycle. Hi, my name is, how are you today? Oh my God, how's Tuesday at 10? So have some, have some questions, right? And be ready for that. It doesn't mean you're going to discover it all if that's not your job. In fact, I would tell you that the goal of the BDR SDR call is not to book the meeting. The goal is engagement. You get that through discovery. And if you get engagement, the result is the meeting. That makes sense? And if you can, you can shift that mindset and teach people to have conversations and build engagement, when that light bulb goes on, it changes everything. I mean, results spike. But it takes a minute or two. You can't just, you know, listen to that and be like, oh, I got it. Check. Start. So if you got a new manager that's listening right now and you got a new rep, you kind of want to control what the dialogue is. Do you, do you recommend a template or what? Uh, how would you go? What would your advice be to a new leader trying to teach a new rep, yeah, a new BDR? Sure. My advice would be take that awesome script that you have and set fire to it right? Set fire to it. Instead, have a template for notes. Have a template with goals. Instead of, I mean, talk, it's a confident sport. We said that before, right? Congratulations. We've hired you for your engaging personality. Now say these words. Don't, no, 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 don't be you, be me. And that doesn't work. So cut it out. Instead, help teach your people the goal of each section and help them take notes against it. And then you're going to get better notes for the AE. You're going to write instead, you're pushing them from a outgoing voicemail, a pre-recorded script to a listener who's going to catch these things along the way. Does that, does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Hates- and then what, what, what's the difference between a, a newer rep, a BDR, and let's just say a major or account executive on, on the template side of things? Well, what the goals are, what you're going for, right? What the questions are, what we're trying to fill in along the way. I I think building that custom template is one of the best things you can do for any one of those groups. And then let them write down their questions or their bullet points in each area, right? That they're using their words and what's worked. I think it should always evolve, right? It's something that's being updated consistently. And then you can share those best practices along the way. But the discovery you're looking for your AE to do, very, very different than the discovery you're looking for your BDR, SDR to do, right? And we might even have multiple levels of that discovery. Because again, on the AE, I see the same problem. It's not the outbound script to get the meeting. It's the outbound demo script. Let me show you the exact same thing that I just showed 10 other clients this week. Oh, it's painful, isn't it? I used to book them to listen while I was driving because they didn't care if I was seeing it or not. They'd be like, do you see this? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've been saying this lately. Let me get your thoughts on what you just said. Um, reps tend to be feature focused rather than value focused. And I always say, beat the drum on the value, don't care about the feature. And your demo script is typically feature focused. Oh, God, yeah. And it's awful. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing people don't um, inherently understand the difference between a feature, a function, and a benefit, right? Mm -hmm. Even super tenured reps, you'd be surprised. You go in and say, okay, here's the feature, but what's the benefit? And what you'll get is a function. So it, it, sometimes we just have to move the needle a little bit at a time, JC, right? Like, all right, quit telling me your features, explain what it does. Get them to a function at least. But then if we can get them to reverse engineer the demo, that's when it's a real win, right? What are they looking to achieve? What's the goal? And if we can start with that discovery at the beginning, then custom pick what we're showing, right? When I look at a demo, I think the biggest mistake, honestly, is we feel like we have to give people a full-blown tour. They don't want a tour. They want a custom sample. Yep. That's it. Like, don't show them everything it does. It's not a full-blown tour. It's a custom sample. Based, Based on, on what, what you learned in discovery, thousand percent. Why would you tell me about something that I didn't care about? If you learned in discovery that three things were important to me, why would I then show five things and two of right. which are not, not important? Um, did you develop a training aid recently? I think you did right on discovery notes or discovery templates or something. I love templates. Yes. Yes. This discovery called template is the idea of trying to help people be better listeners and catch the notes along the way and ask the right questions instead of just outbound scripting. It's this idea of translating the script into a discovery call note-taking template instead. Yes, and we built like, we, we've got generic ones out there and helpful, really helpful, but I love when we get to really partner with companies and help customize that. Where, where can uh, our listeners get your templates, your discovery call note templates? That's such a great question. Let's start at factor8.com and then we'll add a specific link in the comments because I have forgotten what that address is. <laughs> Deal. Thank you for Deal. What, what about back, 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 to, back to value? What about storytelling? Um, like how do you use storytelling to engage prospects I, I, you know, and, and really communicate the value? Yeah, it's super hard, right? I mean, it's fashionable. Um, I will tell you, I'm not natural at it either. I, I wrote a class on it this year and really studied it. And um, there's there are set components um, that make it a good story. So let me answer your question first. Yes, it's really critical. There was a study um, by Insert Smart Organization here. You know that 97.6% of all statistics are made up on the spot? Isn't that great? Anyway. I read that Abraham Lincoln said, don't trust everything on the internet. <laughs> he invented the internet actually. Um, <laughs> anyway. So this organization proved that statistics and facts are remembered. I'm going to let you fill in the blank. Blank X better when they're in a story versus not in a story. What do you think that number is? How much better do we remember stuff when it's in a story? Oh, 90%. I mean, it's got to be ridiculously high. 97.6%. Oh, wow. It's even better than that. No, no, no. I made that up. It's 20. It's 20 times. <laughs> Still pretty damn good. So what happens is, is it just lights up a different area of your brain, right? I get into storytelling mode and it switches the part of my brain that's listening. And it's like a Trojan horse because I'm not defensive anymore. I'm not defending against a salesperson's pitch, right? I'm listening to this really interesting story. 
So um, an example of that, some stories that you want to have as a seller, it might be your origin story or the company's origin story, right? Here's my company and why I started it. Here's this company and why I joined it. Um, here's, in fact, another thing that it's great to do is pick out one or two areas in your sales cycle where you need a boost. And then you go create a story for it. And the best place to create a story, it doesn't have to be from your years and years of sales experience, you guys, my fresh young years out there, go look at case studies and turn them into a story. You want a couple of tips on how? Please. Sure. Yeah. So here's what you need to have to make a great story. There's got to be a main character, which can never be you. You can't be the hero of your own story. So you're going to tell a story about the customer that was there. Okay. You've got to have a place and a time. If your case study doesn't provide it, this is where you take license. Okay. You're not totally making it up, but it's so much more interesting for me to tell you about my buddy KG in Tempe, Arizona, back in 2017, than the client zip recruiter, right? Then you've got to have the challenge. Oh, really? I mean, explosive growth was happening here. How was he going to take a group of 15 managers and turn it into 50 managers at that rate, right? Which is different than was facing rapid growth. So you, you add these extraneous details along the way. So you have a challenge, you have a series of events, you have an outcome. But what makes it a story are the random details, right? I've got a great case study about a client, Michael Poe, in Nashville, Tennessee, who brought us in to do blank, blank, blank training. Right. And when I tell stories about Michael Poe, he's not this faceless executive. Michael Poe was a cowboy. Every day he wore a big belt buckle and boots with shit on the heels. And he was the coolest, most smartest, most strategic cowboy you'd ever met. And he couldn't figure out how to blank, 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 blank. Now, all of a sudden it's interesting. And that's how it changed from a case study to a story. Cause I'm telling you, the random interesting details around it. And you can practice those. So how do you build he, like a human connection? Because you have to, everybody has to take off their buyer's hat and seller's hat. Uh, how, how do you do that on a sales call? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. And, and I think the number one thing we've got to do is recognize that, <laughs> KG's right. The number one thing we got to recognize is that we have to do it, all right? So there's this trust scale. And y'all know that salespeople are right down there with politicians and Lawyers, lawyers. exactly. Like we're a point and a half above politicians still, but barely, we're still in single digits on trust. Which means when we enter into a sales call, even if we actually volunteer with the lepers on our off days, we come down here at mistrust. It's not personal distrust. They don't know you and distrust you for a reason. It's mistrust because it's all salespeople. And our job is to work quickly to build that human connection to get up to the point of conditional trust. All right, this guy's not so bad. Let's see. Let's see how it works. I'll decide after the delivery. We'll see after one, right? All the way up to unconditional trust. So step one is to understand they don't trust you. And you've got to work on building a couple different ways, like 20 different ways you can do this. I just did a webinar on it and wrote a class on this. So I'm, I've got so many, like, if there's just too many things. Number one is do insert video where you can. Okay, when you can actually see each other face to face, it does make a difference. 
I'm not saying you need to prospect with a video up front. Sometimes it's great after a discovery call, short, sweet, to the point. Number two, never sell over email, you guys. I get it. You're using omni-channel and you've got an outreach program and there's email and there's social media. And as soon as you try to sell them something in writing before they know you, you're done. You're negative, double digits. So cut that out. Use those to build recognition and get the meeting, but stop selling in those. The next one I'll share with you, storytelling, 100%. And, and that vulnerability or authenticity that we talked about. People love seeing that you're imperfect. So if I have to introduce myself on a sales call, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to throw in a couple of those awards, but I'll typically follow it with, and I've just noticed that that's fuzz in my hair or something else that just goes instantly to human. Uh, they did a study called the Prattfall effect that your people like you more if you follow your credibility with a guffaw of some sort. So overshare a little bit. I knew a guy um, in Colorado Springs who would outbound on behalf of other companies. Like he was a professional BDR SDR and he was amazing. And he coined two really cool phrases at the beginning. He'd be like, hi, my name's Kevin Gaithier. Could I steal 26 seconds to explain why I just called you out of the blue? What that was was a pattern interrupt, right? It, it wasn't pat. He delivered it in a way that was interesting. It wasn't one minute. It was 26 seconds. More than often, he would get a, okay, but not 27. And then he'd be like, all right, man, here we go. Start the clock. He was great at it. And, and then the next thing he started that he would use was, hey, how am I? I'm oh, fantastic. It's Friday. And it's dress up Friday. I'm literally wearing an Easter Bunny costume while I call you. And he would. He would like wear a costume to work. But it was weird. And he let his freak flag fly and people loved it. So I can't tell you how often it feels stilted like in a zoom meeting mm -hmm. you see somebody on mute and you're like hey is that your dog and you try to make it okay like hey i really am i'm wearing slippers underneath the desk <laughs> and you explain like you try to get them to connect with you and turn their camera on by sharing that you're not perfect either and mm -hmm. that helps put people at ease don't be vanilla yeah we all suddenly thought that like when we got professional that we had to stop being human and it's silly, isn't it? Mm. Um, I love this one. Break a rule. So it'll build trust faster. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the real secret about this product. Or I'm going to recommend you don't buy that. We might not be the right fit for you for this reason. So mm. if you can get on their side and tell them a secret, break a rule, sell against, that's going to help on you faster too. That was, was that too many? <laughs> No, I think there's always edit either, right? Shut the hell up. <laughs> no. I think uh, self-deprecating humor is sort of like breaking the rules. If you're good at making fun of yourself, Music. even though no one can make fun of my hair, you can't. Uh, it's, it's I mean, it's class. just too perfect. But if you have self-deprecating humor, that always goes a long way. I think it does, and people are afraid to use it, and it's. I think it's silly. Like if you mess up, don't re-record. I can't tell you, like, I'm married today because I fucked up a voicemail. Literally, I hung it up and I was like, did I just tell Steve Shar I was single in a voicemail? Did that just happen? And there it is, right? Now we're married. So if you mess it up, just say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I messed that up so badly. Sorry. I hope you'll still call me back. 
So, so does that help you close faster or you got any uh, other tips for that, LB? Closing faster? Yeah, close faster. I think that one of the biggest things in digital sales that prevents us from closing faster is that we don't get as much time with the prospect team, right? Like we don't get to go in and bullshit a little while, do a 90 minute PowerPoint, bullshit a while, right? Go out to dinner, et cetera. So we're trying to steal people's time in small increments. And more than often, I use a football analogy here, by the end it'll be baseball or cooking. So bear with me, but it's like we start back in our own end zone. Right. And so we're trying to march all the way down the field, but we're starting back in our end zone. We get a hold of somebody, we get halfway through something, and oh, they got to go. And we try them again 27 dials later, we get them. They have no idea who we are. And we're back in our own end zone and we're starting over again. And so, um, right in American football, we have first downs, which the Europeans think we're lazy and hilarious for, but there you go. And so you try to get a first down by closing for a commitment. So if you can get somebody to agree to something or take an action item on a call, your mind share triples so that even if they don't do that action item, the next time you call, you've maintained your field position and you get to move further down. I'll, I'll give you an example that's not sales related for a second, right? If I'm having a party and you're all invited, and none of you are SVP. It's really easy when it comes to Saturday night and you're on your couch binging Netflix to not go. But if I ask you to commit to coming, you'll probably stay on your couch, but you feel guilty about it, which means the next time I see you, you'll buy me a beer. But if I ask you to come and you agree to bring something to the party while you're laying there being lazy, you might actually get you up. People are counting. You've made a commitment. You're bringing the beer. You got to show. And it's crazy the difference it makes. So instead of just saying, "Hey, if you can't make it to the call, you know, let me know," just switch the words. Will you please call me if you're not going to be able to make it? And if you get them to say yes, mm. you've gotten a commitment. It's a tiny little psychological trick again. Mm. share is the name of the game. Commitment is the name of the game. Commitment. Yeah, yeah commitment. It, you I've always it moves faster. You know, I've always taught uh I've always used the analogy of of dating and getting and married, getting married. Right. And and you talk about and getting married is closing the is closing the sale. If you end a date and be like, okay, great. I hope to see you again. I might follow up with you. you know, you've got to be like, I'd like to see you again. And and a, a qualified opportunity is one, Lauren, love to hear your feedback. A qualified opportunity is one where you and the prospect are locked arms, committing and moving forward step by step until you get to the altar and, uh, and, and commit. Pete, forget your marriage jokes. Look at his face. He's like, I don't want to talk about marriage on the show. But um, other people might argue there's a different end game. <laughs> You're talking about Depending on yeah. your age group and commitment levels, it might not be marriage. Might hey, that that's fine. You know, Every, everybody should have a starter marriage. Commitment is key to selling, LB. I, I, and I think we're afraid to ask for it. Like, why? Because we're nervous. It's tough to ask girls out, right? And you're asking young kids to just ask random strangers out on dates, and then, and and so to me, it's about helping them create their 
commitment scripts, right? They're message starters. And then it's about muscle memory. It's about practice, right? Telling isn't the same as training, right? Training's not something you did, it's something you do. And, and so we have to keep practicing it. And so it builds confidence. Speaking of percentages and numbers, did I see something somewhere where you said uh, 51% of the companies uh, have a coaching culture? What was that? Refresh my memory, LB. Um, I don't know what statistic I made up at the time about that, but uh, I would say it's drastically less than that. A coaching culture is really, really hard to instill. I've seen one or two, and I've been on thousands of sales floors around the globe. It's right. There's people who are coaches. There's people who coach, and then there's coaching cultures, right? And they're they're vastly different. What are, what is that? What are the keys? to uh, like in your mind, if you were to build the perfect sales coaching culture, what would be yeah. the key components there? Yeah. It's funny. I wrote a little Cosmo quiz about this. recently. I have to link that to you guys that you can put in there. How do you know if you have a coaching culture? So a coaching culture um, is organization wide focus on development and growth of people. I, I think it's, it's that much of a warm fuzzy. And how do you know if you have it? Well, managers, have coaching scheduled and they're actually performing the coaching consistently. Leaders can talk about trends at on skill levels across their people. There's documented performance tied measures of qual call quality and or skill growth. Um, employees and managers are seeking development opportunities and coaching. Uh, your employees aren't nervous. This one came from a buddy. We were going back and forth on our quiz. And he says, I've got one to add. When a rep is really comfortable having other people in the room during their coaching, it's a really great sign that they're comfortable with the development opportunities. If you have a leader who can try a coach and does so regularly, there's another sign. So most people think they're coaching when they're meeting with their reps. So it was somebody else's study. I do remember this one, the Bridge Group M. Exact vision put it out a few years ago, and it was 78% of managers say they're coaching 30 to 40 hours a month, which is fantastic, right? That's like two hours a day, but less than half of their reps agreed with that. Mm -hmm. So if you ask a manager, what are you, when are you like, what do you do to coach? So they're like, well, I'm meeting one-on-one -on -one with my reps. We're looking at their numbers. I'm asking about deals. We're looking at the forecast. I tell them good job. That's not coaching right? That's having a performance one-on-one. -on -one. That's just doing your job. And you can do that in a coaching style by being a leader who asks questions. You're great at that, KG. I suck at that. Um, but it's not coaching, right? So coaching is when you're doing skill development with somebody and they're getting custom feedback on the execution of those skills, which is why if you have more than three people in the room, that's not coaching. You're training. Great but you're not coaching because I'm not getting custom feedback on what's happening. LB, can you find all this in the sales bar? You can find a ton of it in the sales bar. Yeah. So we took the work that we do with large organizations that, you know, have great budgets and we built blended learning approaches to it. So super interactive rep level classes. In fact, you can do find BDR, SDR, level one, level two, level three training. So just career paths them right into AE. And the same for managers, how to run a great performance one-on-one, -on -one, 
call coaching 101, 201, 301. Yeah. So we're rapidly getting everything we've been doing in person for 13 years available on demand in the bar. And that's factor, the number eight.com. Is that where people can find out more? That is correct. Factor eight.com. You can even go to the salesbar.com. Salesbar.com. Okay. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And, and, and just, just to confirm, the best way for our listeners to learn more about you is Factor 8 and salesbar.com, yes. uh, LinkedIn. Do you answer your LinkedIn? Find me on LinkedIn, absolutely. And um, Lauren Bailey. And um, wearegirlsclub.com. That's an important one to know because if you go to okay. girlsclub.com at work, that is a very different site and you will get in trouble. <laughs> wearegirlsclub.com, not girlsclub.com. Uh, no, that domain was sadly taken. So wearegirlsclub.com. <laughs> note, note that Jamie is writing that down as we speak. <laughs> note to self, go to Girls Club <laughs> after hours. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And we ask that you give us five stars and Apple podcasts and subscribe to our newsletter in the podcast notes. And you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sasshole. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. All right, I was just leaning back, and then you just, bam, you killed it. All right. Perfect. You got it. You got it. And, more importantly, am I allowed to say fuck it up? Oh, yes. (laughs) But we've been recording, and that will be used. Uh, (laughs) That will use that, too. (laughs) That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's what we do. That's really bad jokes. And when he remembers, all, oh my gosh. when he remembers. Now, uh, one little fun fact that uh, I don't know if Carney ever brought up, but I just watched that uh, Clint Eastwood movie when he was in the Secret Service. You know the villain? You know what his name was? James Carney. James Carney. Just saying. John Malkovich Malcolm. played James Carney. This little little known fact. Well, that's what he signed his name at at the end when he was the big donor getting into the thing, trying to assassinate the president. Yes, I know that. All right, that uh, I'm sure we added two two listeners on that uh, comment. There he is. Nope. Here we go, LB. Here we go, LB. <laughs> Look at you! Fantastic! It's so good to see you. Good to see you too, Lauren Bailey. Please meet Pete Pete Jansons with the dark hair. Hi, Pete. And Jamie Pleasure. Carney with the beautiful locks of gray hair there. That's Jamie. He's our RevOps guy. I love it. And what a great logo, too. This is great. There used to be a fourth. He sometimes, we, well, we'll get him back. Jason Ferrara. He's been, uh, work gets in the way with some of us sometimes. Right? How rude. How totally rude. Poor, poor people with jobs. <laughs> right? Where's your where's your where's your wine glass? Isn't it time to drink already, Lauren? Oh, tell you what, I've had to have, I've had to have a little word with myself. <laughs> you had to talk to yourself.
You didn't uh, Jesse Smollett yourself and beat yourself up, right? You just had some words with yourself, not clean. Well, yeah, it's like confession. I mean, you have a word with yourself, you pour a glass of wine, and you have some more words with yourself. Yeah. And as you, I'm in Chicago, so that's all we hear about is how Jesse Smollett got, just recently got convicted for beating himself up. Yeah. Literally. Oh, jeez. That was a long time ago. Yeah. I know, but it's happening. It just happened this week. Oh, it did? Uh, see, you're in Chicago. Chicago. You're in Chicago too. I grew yeah. up in Iowa, so I dreamed of like there were some days where I just couldn't take it anymore, and I would get in the car and we would drive to the city for the day. Mm. That's a long drive. We're in Iowa. We're... I know Cedar Rapids. So it's about four hours. Yeah, but it was worth it. Oh, that's right. You're Northern Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Saluki, Southern Illinois. Love that dome up there. I know, isn't the dome great? So I was there with Kurt Warner. And Get out. In my hometown. No, I dated his brother to a ton of college. I was friends with his mom. They hated his girlfriend. So I cannot wait to see the movie. Did, uh, yeah, the did movie. You... Isn't, is Ben Affleck Kurt Warner? No, no it's Zach Levi. Um, Zach, uh, do you guys have kids? Zach Levi was the guy who did Shazam. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. I did see the clip. I knew it was somebody I knew. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did a series a while back that I'm gonna not remember the name of because you know, thanks old age. He did. It wasn't. It wasn't that nurse show. But he. He, he then he got all buffered. I know that guy exactly. The nurse show Scrubs. Different. Different. Scrubs. Yes. Yeah. But. But yeah, he played kind of a nerdy like, guy. Yeah. And then he got all buff for uh, Shazam. Exactly. And now he can play Kurt Warner. So I'd say things are going okay. Hey, man. <laughs> Kurt Warner just got ranked the number one non-drafted quarterback uh, ever to play. And oh, it's true. We go over his stats. Two-time NFL MVP. And he could, he could bag some groceries, my friend. Yes. That's, your, that's egg, right. your eggs would never get crushed. Right? You know, did you guys have high V's in Illinois growing yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. Like every yeah. dude in high school worked at the high V at some point. So I thought that was interesting that they they brought that up, but like it was all about bagging groceries. Oh my god! Right over, right over the border in Wisconsin. Love Heidi. There you go. So, Laura, so Lauren, you think you can handle that uh, intro? I know it's pretty uh, challenging. That's um, I you know I did put up thirty seconds before joining. As Perfect. Here's what. And so, I looked at your I looked at your LinkedIn profile an hour ago. So we're so honest. Yeah. Exactly. So let me make sure I've got this. And they go, whoa, I don't think we can use that. So they know. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, you had a talk. Yeah, I didn't sell anything either. I fucking care. I don't want to hear the pain. I want to see the baby. Oh, my God. Oh, that's put another that one. On. i got to write that down. Don't show me the labor pain. Just show me the baby. We can't say that anymore. All right. So don't I put any of this, please. I beg you, don't put any of this. No, we need, we need a good joke here. I forgot to put the joke in. Oh my gosh! Oh, I didn't realize you had your bad joke was missing. Do you, do how you... dirty? How dirty can your jokes be? Because I've got one. You got a joke? Hit it. I very seldom remember jokes. Yes. Uh, okay. Hit it. So, um, uh, husband and wife—let's call it our age instead of middle age because we all know where we are—are are laying in bed, and um, as per you know their usual routine of once every you know two months or so. The husband rolls over and taps his wife because that's, let's be honest, foreplay in our age. And the the wife says, oh, honey, no, 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 not tonight. I, 
I've got a gynae appointment in the morning and I just, I want to feel fresh. And so <laughs> your face is cracking me up, KG. So the husband rolls back over, right? And he's like, okay, I'll try next quarter. And then he whips back around and hits her on the arm again. She's like, what, baby? He says, you have a dentist appointment too, do you? We, we cannot use that other joke. <laughs> oh, absolutely we could if we wanted. You know, oh, maybe, we can. Pete, maybe, it's, it's you, a, Pete, maybe you put that at the end with all the... Uh, oh, it's going to be in the banter. Don't worry about it. Yeah, put it in the banter uh, and at least keep me... In- <laughs> hey, KG. Yo. What did the toaster say to slice of bread? What did the toaster... I, I don't know. I, I want you inside me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We we cannot use that other joke. Okay, I don't know if we can use that one. All right, so don't I put any of this, please. I beg you, don't put any of this. We we cannot use that other joke. We, we cannot use that other joke.